This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. So just a refresher, we're going through the seven churches of Revelation. We have done three churches. We're on the third. A little uh, fun fact of the night. A couple weeks ago, we did the shortest letter to the shortest church. Just kidding. They weren't short. I don't know how tall they were. But (laughs) does anybody remember which one was written to the shortest? Smyrna. And what was our, what's our process of thinking? I mean, it's not set in stone, but, but what is maybe a reason why, I think we talked about this last week too, why it was shorter than the other letters? <laughs> what's that? They weren't in trouble is one very good point. What's another one? What? They were struggling. They were struggling. They were being persecuted heavily. And, and you don't need a uh, chatty Kathy when you're going through a hard time. You just need encouragement. And that's what the Lord did for them. He, he encouraged them. He strengthened them. He gave them some promises to look forward to the future. He gave them hope. Um, what were some of the things that you guys remember that we talked about last week? For Pergamos, does anybody, anything come to mind or stick out from last week's study? The church that compromised, a compromising church, allows things to come in. Now, the church in Thyatira is what we're going to be looking at tonight, Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Uh, a lot of these churches had similar struggles. They had similar issues, but um, they manifested differently. As much as we see the compromising church with Pergamos, allowed certain things to creep in, the church in Thyatira didn't allow things to come into where they compromised as much as they just flat out gave themselves over to sin in a way that they should not have done it. So they, they, were, they took the next step. They took the next, uh, the, the next leap, really, of compromise, and they are allowing this doctrine to infiltrate the church that was going to severely affect them. Now, with that said, uh, the letter to the church in Thyatira is the longest letter. Now, if Smyrna was the shortest and it was because they were being persecuted and they, and they were struggling, what would be Jesus' intentions for the letter to Thyatira being so long? Anybody have any, any, what's that? He's not happy. <laughs> He's not happy. I like that. That's, he nailed it not happy with them. He needs to talk to them. You know, when my dad was parenting me as I was growing up, I would get the belt. He had a big, thick, black leather belt, and he would undo his belt, and when he would pull it, he would do it. He'd start slow, and then the further it got out, he went faster, you know, and he'd pull it out, and then he'd fold it in half, and he'd say, come here, Let's go in the other room. I want to talk to you. I'm like, you don't want to talk to me. I know what this is about. This isn't about talking. 
And we would sit down and he'd proceed to have this conversation with me about what I did, why it was wrong, did I understand it? And I'm, the whole time I'm just thinking like, I don't want to talk about this. This isn't a conversation that I want to have. Why don't you just get the dirty work done with so we can all move on? The anticipation of receiving the punishment was, was worse than the actual punishment for me. I'm just like, get it out of the way. And I think we talked this morning about God being our father and us having that, that intimacy and relationship with our father and how he does things in our life to teach us and how he wants to teach us. And it's through that, that relationship with us that he, he, you know, we didn't talk about this, but he brings us through seasons of discipline sometime. And really, like the picture that I see, and I don't, I don't think that it's too far removed or, or too much of a stretch from this morning, the picture I see of Jesus speaking to the church in Thyatira is, is a picture of, of the Father, God the Father, dealing with an issue that needs to be dealt with. And here he is. This is the difference between uh, our earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. Sometimes we project our bad image of our earthly father onto our heavenly father, but he does everything perfect and makes everything beautiful in its time where our earthly fathers, they don't really get it. You know, they make mistakes. My dad made mistakes. Um, and I understand that. And it's not fair for me to project what my earthly father did or how he handled things onto my heavenly father or the absence of my father projected onto my heavenly father. Because again, he is he, he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God does intentionally do things in our lives. And, and the thing I wanted to point out even before we get started with Thyatira is that, that God so faithfully, God so faithfully always, always warns us before he disciplines us, which I think is pretty awesome. I think my dad, if I'm honest and, and, uh, even if he was here or I asked him if I could share this with you, I'm sure he would say I could because he's a believer now and he understands like that we had, you know, we had a rough relationship when I was younger. But my dad, sometimes he would respond to me in anger. And our Heavenly Father does not respond to us in anger. To the point where in Revelation it says that God's going to send an angel flying in the midst of the heaven, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ one last time before the end of the world is going to come. Why does he do that? Because God is so compassionate. He's so loving. He's so understanding. He always meets us right where we're at, and he doesn't want there any chance to pass for us to come to a place of reconciliation and right relationship to him. He doesn't want any time to pass. God does not delight in the death of the ungodly. He doesn't delight in it. This is the same thing we see throughout Scripture continually. Faithfully, God deals with us the same over and over and over again. And it's no different when it comes to the churches. In this letter to the church, he's going to warn them before he has to take care of business so before we start, verse 18, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you, you are so good. Good, good Father. It's who you are. And we don't want to muddy the water when it comes to how good you are, how perfect you are, how you deal with us by projecting what our earthly fathers did to us or do to us or didn't do to us while we were here. 
You're different. You are holy. You are righteous. You are just. And you deal with us in such a way that we can identify your, long, your loving kindness. We can see your long suffering. And Father, tonight we pray that you would give us also ears to hear what your spirit says to the church because we know that your word is holy and it is written to your church for our hearing and not just for our hearing, but also for our doing the application of your word. So Father, we thank you for today, the worship services that we had today, the people, who, people whose hearts you touched and that our hearts would have fertile soil that you would sow into us your word and it would produce fruit and fruit abundantly. We love you, Lord. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Each one of these uh, introductions to a church is taken from a greater introduction in chapter 1 about who Jesus is. So these are two more characteristics of Jesus. They're taken from the introduction and attributed specifically to a certain church. This church, these two items being Thyatira. Now, He's trying to send a message about his character with each one of these introductions to the churches. And this one is, these things says the Son of God. First of all, let's stop there. This is the first place that the Son of God is referenced exclusively in this manner. And the reason being, we're going to get to it in a minute, but the reason being because of the city that he's writing to, Thyatira, there's, there had some, something specific, a purpose for that. So we'll come back to that. But these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. What does the eyes like a flame of fire and feet like uh, fine brass mean? Is it anywhere else in the scripture? Yes, it's in Daniel. Speaking of the end times, there's a vision and he sees somebody with eyes like torches of flame and legs of brass. Now, what does the eyes mean? The eyes, and we're going to come back to as well a little later, it means the the perception or the seeing of something like fire. So one of my kids got in trouble the other day. I won't tell you who it was or what they did, but I have to calm myself down and I have to say, you're not your father. Because sometimes I can get loud, you know. You, you love Jesus and you are not going to yell at him for doing this thing. So I breathed, okay, I'm not going to yell. So I go over and I said, hey, you're doing this. Why are you doing this? You know you can't do it. And I'm not yelling, but then I find myself purposefully widening my eyes and leaning in. Why are you doing this? You know? And they can see dad's not happy. We see that the, the, he, he perceives something. My wife knows exactly what I'm talking about. He perceives something in us that is inadequate or not correct, and dad's eyes are glowing. <laughs> this is speaking of, uh, I, I use it as a silly illustration, but, but this is speaking of the authority 
uh, that Jesus has over his church. And that when he looks at them intently, they should be able to see and perceive that what he is talking about, what he is warning them about is business. He's not joking around. I think that it's, it's, it's incredible that, that he pairs it with the feet of bronze, right? Jesus to Thyatira is literally putting his foot down. <laughs> this isn't going to happen anymore. Bronze is the medal in the Bible or the medal of the Old Testament of judgment or justice or correction. And Jesus' feet are bronze. He's literally putting his foot down to this church about what is happening, what's going on. Jesus reminds them when he says the Son of God that he is the son of God and nobody else. See, what the, the, the Thyatira was a trade city. Also, you could, you could refer to it as a union city or a guild city. All of those things mean the same thing. It was, it was in, an industrial city. There was a lot of work. There was a lot of jobs and where they did textiles, leather goods. They, it was a production city. They produced goods and what they would do is they would produce these, these goods and send them out all over the Roman Empire, all over the world. So in turn, it ended up being one of a more wealthy city. I had totally forgot this until I started looking into it a little bit. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, the Bible talks about Lydia. And Lydia was a dealer of fine purple linen, right, from... Thyatira. She was from Thyatira, and she was a wealthy businesswoman that was involved in the church, and, and there seems to be some kind of connection, not maybe necessarily with her and the church in Thyatira, but, but the fact that, that it was a textile, industrious city, and, and it, there was business involved, and that also ties into what was happening most people believe or understand that with these guild cities or these union cities, what they would do is it was very closely connected to the, the pagan worship and the guilds or the unions, they're very tight-knit. So now you have the church group that's tight-knit, but then you have these guilds that are tight-knit. And to be able to do business with them, there had to be like a there had to be an understanding of things. I don't know if you've ever worked for a union before, but it is kind of weird. It's like that. This, there's an understanding of things, and, and there's an agreement of terms or agreement of things that you have to be okay with. I was in the Teamsters Union for a couple years before I went to Bible college, and I remember my, my, my union steward telling me, I don't care if it costs you your job. If your employer tells you to get out of your truck and pick up a shovel to help do something, you lose your job before you get out of the truck and pick up the shovel because we will take and make you one of the richest young men in Las Vegas by what we do to them by making you do another union's job. So there's like an understanding, you know, and this is the way things work and this is who you have to talk to. This is the kind of thing that was happening in Thyatira. Now, they had a temple or the, the cult worship was to Apollo Thyatiras, I believe, or Thyatiri. 
and, and there was, there was a, a submitting to that cult worship, but they also introduced and accepted the emperor cult worship, which we've talked about in previous weeks, where the emperor of Rome was considered to be divine, a god, and he was worshipped. Well, what they did because of, you see the big picture, the unions and figuring, working stuff out, they had blended the two together, and they had said, okay, well, we have uh, Apollo as, as, as the god that we worship, but then we have, we have Rome. Rome, the Roman emperor, and, and he's a, a mini-god that we worship. So these two must be an offspring of Zeus. They are sons of Zeus, so it's okay for us to have this blended worship and worship these two. So Jesus opens up his letter to Thyatira saying, these things say the son of God. There is no other sons of God. There is no other meddling or blending with forms of worship Jesus is capital S, the son of God, and he has the eyes of flame and feet of bronze. He has the authority to say that and to do what he needs to do. So this is the, this is the place that we find ourselves, the culture we find ourselves in, in Thyatira. Verse 19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, this is a very interesting verse, especially to a church that Jesus was so displeased with. And at first, if you look at it, it could be kind of confusing. But he starts with a, commend, uh, a commendation. I said that right, right? A commendation about how, hey, you guys, you, you, you work hard, you love, you serve, you have faith, your patience, and then refers to the works again. I shared in the, in the services this morning that I had the opportunity to talk to a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses yesterday. And one of the things that I said, you know, the difference between us and you is that you guys are a works-based religion, meaning what you do qualifies or disqualifies you to have a relationship with God. We are a faith-based religion, and we got to talk about that and go back and forth. But, but in Galatians, I was able to share this with her also. In Galatians, there's a strong warning from Paul to the Galatian church saying that even if an angel of light were to appear to you and preach to you another gospel, which for them was, having begun in the spirit, are you going to be perfected in the flesh? The flesh speaking of the deeds, the things that you do, and, and it's good to be a Christian that does good things, but it's not good to be a Christian and think that your relationship with God is dependent on those things that you do. So for them, he says, you're doing good. And, and even your love, even your faith, even your service is good. And then he references works again. But be careful with this works things thing. It's a slippery slope. I've shared this with you guys before. Gracie and I uh, spent 10 years on the mission field. And if there's one thing that I, I was disappointed about coming back is that we had contact with a lot of international ministries that did international work, mainly, you know, with humanitarian, with an, a humanitarian emphasis. And what happens over time with these humanitarian organizations, they start off with the greatest of best biblical intentions. Red Cross, Salvation Army. These guys, they start Salvation Army. They were soldiers for Christ. You think that's anywhere on their stuff nowadays? 
because this is what happens. They start off good in faith, in love, in service, in works. And then it starts to slowly be more about the works. And I would run into people who would be doing relief work in Bosnia, uh, humanitarian work in Africa, or, or whatever the case may be, and they would be handing out food, they'd be giving away clothes, they'd be addressing a physical need, and they would not share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm like, how could you be ministering to a temporal need and not be addressing the eternal? There's something wrong with that. These people need Jesus more than they need a pair of shoes. Trust me. They're going to be okay in the long run. You have to preach Jesus Christ and then give to them according to their need. I was talking to one guy and said, hey, you guys need to be preaching the gospel to these people. He said, our organization, does. this is not even a humanitarian. This is a missionary organization. Our organization prohibits, listen to this. I'm okay. <laughs> prohibits us from sharing the gospel with them for a minimum of two years. I said, Why? Why do you have to, you don't share the gospel with anybody. We're not allowed to share the gospel with anybody because what we have to do, our main mission is to develop uh, relationships and get them to trust us to a degree that, that then we can share the gospel with them. And if they, had, if, they, if they had been there for 10 years and they had a new missionary family, a new couple come, their two years reset the moment that they entered and they had to wait two years to develop those relationships to share the gospel. Is that insane? That's insane. And I said, this is because I'm kind of a loud mouth sometimes, if you didn't know that. I said, are you serious? Are you, do you mean to tell me that you can't share the gospel with somebody for two years, no matter what? No, we can't do it. And I thought, you know, if I was a national here and I knew you for two years, and you gained my trust and we got vulnerable with each other and started talking about really crazy things like faith and life and stuff like that. And I found out two years later, two and a half years later, that you were a Christian, you had good news to share with me and you waited that long to tell me, I would not be happy with you. What if you get kicked out? What if I die? Don't you have to redeem the time? Don't you have to, to do something now because the days are evil? Like, what are you doing? Now, the point is that they're going in this direction of the work being, their work unto God being more important than the work of God in somebody's life. Do you guys see the picture that I'm kind of painting for us? I know your works, your love, you've got love. There's no doubt that, that the people that, that you meet in, in, in Africa, in Ethiopia when we go, there's no doubt that they're there conducting humanitarian services and they're doing it without love. They don't hate those people. They're there for a service, but it has to be married with the gospel. It has to begin with the gospel for eternity's sake. And as for your works... Listen to this. As for your works, the last are more than the first. Compare and contrast that to the first church, Ephesus. What did Jesus say to them? You guys have fallen. You've lost your first love. And this is my instruction to you. Repent 
and go back and do the works that you did before. Ephesus? The book of Ephesus is a great book of the Bible, New Testament. John, uh, the, the, the best friend of Jesus, the, he, hanging out with him, leaning on his bosom, the beloved of Jesus, was a pastor there for some time, Ephesus. But they had fallen from their first love to the point where they stopped doing the things that they were supposed to do. Is that possible? I think it, it's a warning. It's possible. But there can also be an overemphasis on the works part of it. You know, I went to a church once a long time ago, so you guys don't have to try to figure it out because you can't. I went to a church once that um, that's had an overemphasis on service, oh, way over. Like they were, it seemed like they were constantly begging people to serve, and it just put a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, man, it really seems like, like God really needs people and nobody wants to have anything to do with him and God's begging people like, hey, you have to serve, you have to serve. It's not the case either. I, I am privileged and honored by the grace of God to serve and be part of his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. You can, it's hard to kick, get me out of here. Talk about having a Sunday evening service and I, I'd be, I, I'm here almost every day of the week. I love ministering unto the Lord. It's awesome. But there can also become a place or or there's a place that we can get to where it's only and all about or the majority part of not even our works, but even our service, which is different because it's listed differently. Our service to God. And God says, I didn't, you know, Grace and I, we we were just talking yesterday, sitting down and relaxing and we were just talking about the difference between Martha and Mary and how, you know, uh, Martha comes to Jesus and says, you know, you tell my sister to get up off her butt and start helping me because I got all this stuff to do and I don't have any help and blah, blah, blah. And Jesus says, hey, she's chosen the better part. Why are you, why are you so worried and concerned with so many things? Almost indicating that she could have even been worried or concerned with less than she had piled on top of her plate. Why? Service. Oh, it's Jesus. Jesus is here. We have to do this. We have to do that. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you come sit by your sister at my feet and, and, and receive from me instead of the works of service that is so often so emphasized. And he doesn't put them down for that either. He just says, this is, this is the reality. This is who you guys are. And, and you do good. You have faith. You have love. You have service. And, and there really isn't anything to say or to take away from the fact that it's not a negative for them. It's a positive. They're doing it with the right intention. But then here comes the next part. And again, they're doing it for the right reasons, for the right intention. Nevertheless, verse 20, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, he gave her time. God gave her time to repent. Why? Because God always gives us time. Could you imagine if he whacked you across the back of your head as soon as you were about to step out of line and do something wrong? Could you imagine? I'd be dead meat. 
there's no way I'd be here right now. I'd be in mucho grando trouble. I don't even know if that is offensive to anybody. I apologize if it was. Sorry. <laughs> I'd be in big trouble. But God says, oh man, you know, that wasn't good. I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to give you, I'm going to issue you a warning. I'm going to give you the look. I'm going to put my foot down. This is how you should respond. But before we get too far into that section, let's, let's look back and see again. He's talking about Jezebel. And this is interesting. He says, Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Listen, if you ever run into anybody who calls themselves a prophet or a prophetess, you might, uh, they might be in a, a regular attendee of the church of Thyatira. <laughs> In my experience, I'm sorry, maybe, you know, I, I, somebody approached me the other day and said, hey, um, I can't, I don't even know if I should say it. I have that problem. Um, yeah, okay, I'll tell you. They said, hey, you guys sing this song by this certain group, and this certain group is really bad, and you shouldn't sing that song anymore because, because of their, their you know, the, the, you're giving yourself over to the things that they're opening, them, and, uh, opening themselves up to. And, and, I, and I said, listen, I, I get it. I get that people do bad things, but if we're not intentionally doing those bad things with them, for instance, you know, people get really hung up over d- different martial arts or, or yoga and stuff like yoga. Yogi, yogi. Oh, no, it's yoga. I almost said Yogi Berra. But they get really hung up. But listen, what are, what are our intentions in doing something? It's not our intention when we set up a Christmas tree to worship a foreign god. That's not what our intention is. So we can redeem these things. And again, I don't want to, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I told you I was, I was in a weird mood tonight. And I, to, and I could be honest with you guys because it's, you know, Sunday night. Uh, I'm not trying to be offensive, but, but I am trying to, to bring to light um, the stuff that we have to deal with in reality today that, that is connected to, addressed in Scripture for us as well. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to che- teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, the point is they're, they're actually doing it. And, and not only are, are they... Are they talking about things, bad things that people are doing, talking about how they're engaging in mysticism or other weird things over here. They're not just even talking, but they're, they're doing the bad things. They're, they're not only compromising their position, but they're giving themselves over to flat out sin. And there's no reason that we need to try to read anything into this to act like it's something that it's not. She was teaching and seducing, capital M, my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. This is what would happen. There were these company parties, these unions, and everybody would get together. And part of the process of having a a party or one of those 
they turned into religious services is that they would start to worship their foreign deities even at these company functions. And there was this lady who was teaching people, you know, it's okay for you to give yourself over to those things because you identify as a Christian and that's fine and they identify as that. But for business sake, listen, either, you either, you know, you make a couple small choices for the big picture. You got bills to pay. I've talked to people before who, who won't share or can't share the gospel at their work. And I get that. That's not, that's not really causing you or forcing you into a sinful condition where you're choosing to sin. And maybe God will open doors for you to be able to share the gospel with people at your job. But when, when your boss comes to you and tells you to do something that's morally, ethically, and biblically condemned, and, and here's the picture, you're going to do this thing or you're going to lose your job. Now, they're placing you in a position that you have to sin to continue to remain in your job. This is similar to what was happening in Thyatira, except she was, it says seducing. She was convincing them that it was okay to partake in these feasts, which were eating these, these, this food that was dedicated as part of a service to their foreign deities. And then the process would roll out where the sexual immorality was connected to or part of that service, which was very common in ancient days for whatever reason. You know what's remarkable to me, to me, and I don't really want to spend too much time on it, but you know what's remarkable, remarkable to me is that how often that God has to address sexual immorality in the Bible. We've already talked about it with other churches too, this, this sexual immorality. And it has a two-fold position in our lives. On one side, there's the physical part of being sexually immoral, which we talked about in 1 Corinthians. Sexually immoral is not using the gift of intercourse the way that, it's, that God intended it to be used. That's what causes something to be immoral in that category. But there's also the spiritual side of it, which would be giving people's, the giving of someone's uh, faith to something else that it would also be a part of it. You know, you go into somebody's house. I used to put up window blinds in people's houses when I was younger. And I went in this one lady's house and, and all over, all the way up her stairs, up to her, her, her upper second story. And she had these little figurines and little, like literal idols. And, and she had a cross on one wall and she had a Buddha on one. And she had the, 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 other, the Hindu guy with the legs and stuff on, on another one. And, and uh, I was very bold. I st- you know, I'm still pretty bold, but um, I was very bold. Uh, I mentioned it this morning. I was zealous. I was zealous. And I'm like, and I'm like who are you? Like, pick a God, lady, you know? Like, <laughs> And, and that one right there, that one's a pretty good one to start with. She had a cross on the wall. And I'm like, would you, could you tell me what, what's going on? You know, and she said, hey, um, I figure that, that I'll include all of them so that if I'm wrong on any one, you know, maybe I'll get forgiveness because I included the one that, that was the real one. And I'm like, that's not how it works. But there's like a reasoning, a false reasoning, a seducing. that, that It is a seducing because it's an appealing to the flesh. And we as Christians, we as believers, the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, can use overthinking into doing something that we surely should not be doing. I thank God for 
Cliff and his testimony that he was willing to share with us. I remember, if it's okay with you, walking through with him in those early days, right when he came back to Las Vegas, meeting with him and talking to him. And I, and I see how you, you wouldn't believe how much growth has happened in his life the last two years. Cliff has a weakness. There's no way any of us should be okay with forcing our liberties down his throat in front of his face. There's no way. As a believer, we're, we, we function in love. We want to be above reproach. We don't come up and, and say, hey, Cliffy, it's been a couple of years, man. It's not a big deal anymore. Who cares anyway? Like you're saved by grace, not by works. Let's go grab a couple beers and hang out and be dudes. This is what's happening. There's a seducing and enticing of the flesh. And this is a serious, serious, this is so serious that Jesus says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. He did it and she didn't. Indeed, verse 22 I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. There might be a little, a slight indication that not only is she saying that this is okay and she's luring other Christians into this process of thought, but that she's actually having sexual immoral relationships with other Christians from the church because of the position uh, that, that she has argued for. I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And there's still a time given, you know? And I would be like, you guys are busted. I'm going to rip my belt off so quick and not even have a conversation about it. And he's like, but no, I'm going to, they're going to go through some, some testing, some tribulation, some punishment and and unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Now, this isn't talking about her literal children. This is talking about her position as a prophetess, those that she's influencing. She's talking about those who consider to be part of this family of thought that she has, this false doctrine. Hey, I'm not just going to judge you according to what you're doing and saying to these others, but I'm going to give the others time to repent. But I'm not, if they don't, I am not going to allow this thing to linger. I am not going to allow this thing to linger. And I am he who searches the minds and heart, hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. This goes directly back to the beginning of the letter when we see Jesus having the eyes of flame. What does he say? He says, he sees or searches the minds and hearts. Do you know that you don't have to actually do something physically to sin, but you can do it in your mind or in your heart before you even act upon it in a, in a physical nature? Yeah, of course, Jesus said that. 
said, you don't have to kill somebody. You just got to hate them enough and wish they were dead. You don't have to commit adultery. You just have to look at a woman lustfully, and, and you've already committed the sin. And then there's some, you know, the people who are like, well, I thought about it, and I already did it, so I might as well just go ahead and go do it now. Wrong. Remember, repent, turn, stop, don't, no, wait, danger. That's a good time to remind ourselves, I'm thinking about this, this isn't good, and this is what I do, you know, just for practice or for good practical instruction. This is what I do. I'm thinking this. This is bad. I should not be thinking this. And then and, and the thought to starts to turn into an action. And before it can turn into an action, I say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I know that, that I think my thoughts are my own, but I know better that you know what I'm thinking. You know it's in my brain. You know it's in my heart. You know what is my purpose to do. So before this goes any further, please forgive me, even though I was starting to go in that direction. And, 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 and every time I do that, it stops right then and there because I've repented. You can't repent and then be like, you know, I'm sorry, God, I repent. And then, and then continue to do the thing you were just thinking about. You can't do it. And if it keeps coming back to you, you just keep repenting. God, it's not going away. I'm really sorry. I know that you can see. You're the searcher of the mind and heart. You can see what's going on here. I'm really struggling. Help me out. Because God's faithful to do that for you. My example, and it's not so bad. It's kind of more funny, so don't take it too seriously. But, but my example is road rage, you know. I could think I could go down the highway and somebody cuts me off and just happened the other day where Gracie and I were driving somewhere and and uh, this guy from California they're all from California is in the fast lane right and I'm going fast because I'm in the fast lane and and I'm driving and, and I'm like there's nobody in the right lane and I'm just like I am not switching lanes to the slow lane to pass this person in the fast lane. So I just got nice and a little closer than I, you know, I don't know, maybe probably right what the law was because that's, you know, I'm, 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 I was still good. And then I started putting my brights on. And I thought, you know, what if they slam on their brakes? So I, I eased off a little bit, you know. And I thought about beeping, but all the kids are in the truck. I'm like, ah, probably wouldn't be good. So I just turn my brights back on again. And I'm like, dude, what are you, like, what's the deal, bro? Like, what? go around them, Tim, you're an idiot. And it was much worse before. Like, that's PG, that's G. That's not even bad at all. Like, yeah, I was frustrated because the Californian wouldn't get in this low lane. But in the past, I would have these elaborate, imaginative, you know, things of, of pulling a gun out and popping a couple caps. Or, or, you know, I don't, I can get a new front bumper for a couple hundred bucks, give them a few taps. Or, you know, give them the old police, I'm going to pass you. No, I'm not. Tap and watch them spin off the road in a fiery fireball crash. Now, I'm confessing this to you because that's not who I am anymore, but it is what is, is possible if I allow myself to be given over to the flesh. If I allow myself to, to stay in those thoughts. And then as soon as I start to remind myself, God sees my thoughts. He see, God searches. I see the fiery eyes in heaven. Damn, fiery eyes. Okay, I'm sorry, God. You gave me some time. I'm not going to follow this through. I'm not going to allow it to, to continue. I repent. I'm sorry. And it stops. 
and we don't, I don't say that. I've said this before too. I don't say that to try to make you feel bad, you know, like you're alone, but you're never alone. <laughs> you're surrounded, you know, if God opened up your eyes to the spiritual realm, you're surrounded by, by eternal beings that are watching you and you think that you're alone doing something and nobody's ever going to find out. Why do you think the scripture says that you're going to be held accountable for all your works? Is that just the works that God happens to catch you in? He opens the door. Oh, I I told you you shouldn't. You're going to pay for that later. I'm going to talk to you about that. No, he sees everything. And it's not to to terrify us into submission. It's to understand that there's a greater purpose in this planet. There's a greater purpose in God's will and plan for our lives. And And we should be taking that into consideration and meditation on a regular basis throughout the day, throughout every day, every week. I do not need to be giving myself over to this. God is the God who searches minds and hearts. You cannot hide what's truly, genuinely in your heart if you have not dealt with it. It will eventually come out, trust me. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart flows the issues of life. God already knows, let's confess it to him now or repent now so we have time before we, we ultimately have to give an account for and be accountable for the things that we do. Verse 24, now to you I say and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Now, this is kind of difficult because many commentators for this part and the last part, they, they, they have theories, conjecture, but they don't really know what exactly he means by this, okay? So you can look up a handful of things that, that people say, this is what he means by the, 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 um, the depths who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say. But probably the most popular if not the most probable explanation is there was a doctrine going around either started with Jezebel or a doctrine that had taken root and she also took root of it and it was influencing others that the grace of God is so great that there's nothing that you could do. The Bible says that God will never leave you or forsake you. Like there's nothing that you can do. This is what they'd be saying. There's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God, which is true. But then would give them license to try to see. Go ahead, give it a shot. Go do a kilo of Coke or go down to the strip clubs or go do this or go do that. You, you, you can test God in this and see no matter what you do, the, the depths of Satan, that God still will love you and forgive you for those things. What happens is the next thing in history, this is right before the Gnostics came onto the scene, if you're familiar with Gnosticism, and this was something that was a defined, clear, principled doctrine with the Gnostics, that the spirit and the flesh were separate, and anything that you did in the flesh was in the flesh and didn't count. doesn't count because you did it in the flesh. Anything that you did in the spirit was in the spirit, so it was good. So basically, in the flesh, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter, you know, because you've been reconciled to God. There's also... Um, 
people who believe this today, if you believe or not. Or not. I knew a guy that got kicked out of Bible college because his, his position, he wasn't even in Bible college just, he was, a, he was an intern under one of the pastors there. He believed in this limitless grace that he could do whatever he wanted and, and God would be okay with it. And they're like, that's wrong. And he's like, well, I've tested it and it's right. And they're like, you're out of here. <laughs> he was having a small group teaching other students. You know, that's not, trust me, I have, I've seen the depths of Satan and there's nothing that, that, that is not okay with God. Like, it's, it's all fine. You can do that. He's saying, listen, you guys... Some of you have this doctrine, and some do not have it. They have not given themselves over to this. Don't give yourself over to it. Don't pay any credence. I will put on you no other burden. There is no burden. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I have also received from my father. This is interesting because it speaks on so many levels. Those who hold fast. So there's perseverance talked about. There's a temptation to give into sin. There's sin in the world, but there's, there's a promise. If you persevere, you're going to be okay. He who overcomes and keeps my works into the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Whatever authority people were exercising over these people because of their position or status at work, hey, you, you really need to come to this orgy because if you don't, you're not going to be able to sell purple cloth anymore or whatever they were saying to them. There was definitely an overcoming that needed to happen. And, and instead of to keep the works of the unrighteous, to keep the works of the righteous until the end, and I will give power over the nations. I will give you an authority over those people. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. The way that you translate this rod of iron, it's a verb, and it's to shepherd. It actually is, he shall rule them uh, as to shepherd them. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. It's, it's, it's a carefulness. It's the, the, the shepherd's rod. But again, if the sheep get in trouble, then there, there, there needs to be a response to it. As I also have received from my father, God the father gives Jesus the authority. Jesus says, I'll give you the authority. And we know in Scripture that we, it says that we will rule and reign with Christ over the nations because we have an understanding of what it means to be tempted, to withstand, to overcome. So because we have experienced the temptation, the withstanding, and the overcoming, then he says, well, you guys understand, so now you're put in that position that you can oversee. Does that make sense? It's like you've been given a little, and you do with what you're supposed to with a little, and you're given more. He says, you guys, and this is the only time in the seven churches to Revelation that there's a double condition to a promise. He says, you guys better do these things, but if you do, this is what you're going to receive. And I will give him, verse 28, the morning star. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the morning star is probably the most difficult part, and there's people who have passionate opinions about it, and there's a whole bunch of different other theories. But if I'm completely honest with you, most of them will say we don't really know exactly what the morning star was that he was referring to. We can say uh, a relationship with Jesus. So, you know, one guy says the, the morning star is, is the beginning of the dawn that speaks of eternity. We don't need to get all crazy. There, there's something good in the morning star, and they're going to get it. I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with God's going to do something good. I don't have to necessarily understand what it is. In fact, most of the good things that God does in my life are good. And most of the time, I didn't understand it before I received it. So that's okay. But as we wrap up in closing, how do these things, if they do it all, how do they minister to us? How do they speak to us? How do we apply them? How do we address the questions right now that are happening in churches across the United States about qualifications or being okay with certain kinds of sin that, are, that, that is accepted. Even more specifically, like I don't think there's any coincidence that most of the questions that people have about what's right and wrong or okay in church, a lot of them have to do with sexual immorality. A lot of them have to do with, is it okay to do this thing? Yeah, God's great. He's loving. He's kind. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's merciful. So it doesn't matter what you do in the world. It doesn't matter what you do in the flesh. Don't worry about it. The reality is God's sitting up there scratching his head saying, hey, um, you know better. And I can see even if you haven't done it physically, you're entertaining it in your head. I had a conversation with a guy a couple years ago who um, was struggling uh, with, with uh, some, some sexual issues. And we were talking about it, and, and I said, he said, this is what the struggle is. And I said, well, and he's, he's going on and on about how he feels and all these thoughts and all these things and blah, 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 big, long dialogue. And, and then he says, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. And I said, well, let me ask you a question if it's okay, because sometimes people don't want to share too much. And that's fine, you know, but, but I have to act, ask direct questions. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you done, have you actually physically done any of these things that you've been thinking about? Because you've already identified yourself as that kind of person. But what I'm asking you is, have you done any of those things? And he said, no, I haven't. And I said, good, don't. Because yes, is it sin? Yes. Is it wrong? Yes. You've really entertained and given yourself over to this philosophy or this, this thought process that you have. But, you, but what, by what you're doing, there'll, there'll always be repentance and there'll always be forgiveness. But the moment that you open that door into that, it's going to be harder and harder for you to close it in the future, even in repentance. You're going to open yourself up to things that, that you thought in theory, but then you experience in, in reality. And, and there's going to still be forgiveness there, but it's going to be a lot harder to repent. Repent meaning turn and go in the opposite direction, right? That's what repentance means. You're going in this direction. You turn and go in this direction. It's going to be a lot harder for you to do that. So don't do it. And, and when you give yourself over to that certain thing or those certain things, then you open yourself up to something that you only thought about in, in theory. Does that make sense? So, hey, listen, God searches the minds and the hearts. He, he gets it. He sees it. 
He knows that we are only dust. <laughs> he knows that we are but dust, as the scripture says. And, and all we have to do is come to him and, and plead with him, say, God, this is who I am. Um, I'm not a road rager anymore, but I don't want to even start the process of thinking that would get me to a bad place like I used to in the past. And ultimately, what was the cost that they were going to have to pay? They were going to be punished. But God, in his grace and his mercy for the church in Thyatira, God was going to give them opportunity. He was going to give them time. So don't take advantage of the time that God wants to give us to get right with him, repent of the sins of the past and the sins of the present so that we can walk forward and receive his promises, which for them was cool. You're going to rule and reign with me if you can overcome this. We're going to be together for eternity and everything's going to be okay. Sometimes it's just enough to hear that, you know, everything's going to be okay. And, and, and that's, that's good enough for me, Lord. Thank you. That's all I needed to hear. And sometimes that's all we need to hear. Amen? So Thyatira, we'll be moving on next week. Let's uh, go ahead and pray. Father God, we, we thank you for um, your great mercy and compassion on us. We thank you, God, that, that not only are you faithful to save, but you're faithful to maintain. You're faithful to reveal yourself to us and address the issues that we go through. We thank you, Father. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see as well and ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us in whatever way that applies. We pray, Father, that you'd give us grace in our speech, in our conduct this week, and that we would find opportunity or that we would recognize opportunity to share your love with somebody that we may run into or come across, that we can share the good news of relationship with you through your son, Jesus and you would be glorified, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.